Welcome to episode four of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast. For those people who love to travel and those who love having a cold beer wherever they are in the world, this is the perfect place for you. Our guest today is Trevor Mountcastle, an avid traveler who I've known personally for many years. In addition to traveling whenever he can, Trevor is a travel blogger, a podcaster, a reseller, an active social media presence, and impressively, he does this all while holding down a full-time job too. Be sure to keep listening if you want to hear how he manages it all. Also, we'll get into a bit of his travel style, as well as hear about what he likes to drink at home and on the road. Before we get started though, just a couple of quick housekeeping details to go over. As I mentioned in the last show, you can expect to see new episodes of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer podcast, coming out on the 1st and the 15th of each month. I recorded this episode with Trevor in Dallas last week, and while I was there, I had a chance to sit down with a couple of really cool local breweries. Expect to see those episodes coming out in the next month or so. And now it's time to get right into it. So sit back, relax, maybe crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy my conversation with Trevor Mountcastle. So we're here today with Trevor Mountcastle, who is an avid longtime traveler, and like most of our guests here on Miles and Pints, a drinker of beer. Welcome to the show, Trevor. Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here. We're going to start out today getting into a little bit of your travel style, how you like to travel, who you like to travel with, Um, and then we'll get a little bit into the types of beers you drink when you're at home, when you're away, when you're on the road, and maybe some other things, because I know you have a little bit of a love for some, uh, a different type of bubbly beverage, and we'll get into that a little bit later. So to start off, your typical trip when you travel, is it solo? Is it with a group? Is it as a couple? How do you like to travel? Almost exclusively as a couple with my wife. We, uh, it's ironic, here we are in Dallas recording this, and this is one of those trips my wife didn't come with me on, but usually my wife and I travel. Um, I'm finding more and more, though, that we're doing a little bit of group travel uh, through the year, uh, whether it's with friends or if I'm taking uh, family on, on a trip uh, like I'm doing later this year around the world. And it's funny you mention that because we are in Dallas recording this, but you and I live about 40 minutes apart in the, the D.C. and uh, Maryland area, yet it's in Dallas where we find time to record. And although we both travel with our spouses quite a bit, neither of our wives are here. So it's, it's kind of an oddity that we're sitting here doing this, but uh, we're out here in Dallas for the Freddie Awards, which for those who aren't familiar is a yearly award ceremony held for loyalty programs for those for hotels, for airlines, and uh, executives from the different airlines and hotels, mostly based in the U.S., some international as well, come to this ceremony. And it's a, a fancy affair, and they're giving out awards for the best programs and best promotions and things like that. So tonight's that ceremony, we both happen to be in town, and we thought, hey, what should we do in the afternoon? We'll record a podcast. <laughs> So you travel mostly with your wife, uh, Rose, who is not here now. Do you, when you travel together, do you travel, do you try to make it as cheap as possible or do you tend to splurge? Do you do some of each? What's your typical, I guess not, not as much budget, but how, how do you like to travel? 
Generally, we splurge. I mean, there are some times where, where we'll try to, you know, work, work within a budget. I mean, there are some countries that are just expensive. Uh, Israel is a perfect example. Uh, but for the most part, we, uh, we don't mind splurging because we don't get as much vacation time. And that's due to the jobs that you guys have? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we probably travel more than, than the average person. But, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's still, unfortunately, you get used to some of the creature comforts and, 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 you, and you like to keep it up. So it just means that we work a little bit harder to be able to, to, to do that by generating more, more miles and points. Yeah, so when, when you say splurge, sometimes you're talking about cost, actual dollars, but often you're talking about splurging with your miles and points because, like myself, you for many years have been into this earning of miles and points through credit card and spending, um, and you'll spend more of those miles and points so you can have that lay flat seat or so you can have that first class trip. Whereas I will typically fly in economy because I'm taking four people and we want to get on as many trips as possible. So although we love the first class, my family doesn't tend to get to do it as often as you do. Yeah, well, it, and it's getting harder and harder now. Um, I mean, it, it used to be 67,500 miles. You could route via, via Europe to get to Japan. And now you're talking about 130,000. I mean, so you're almost double the, double the price. So it, it makes it a whole lot harder to, to do that first class cabin. Yeah, especially when I'm now booking for four people. and It, it just gets more and more and more expensive. But it, we get it in there every now and then. But if you do have the, the limits on how much vacation time you get and how much you can travel, it's easier to make those miles or save those miles up in between and, and really take the, the nicest flights possible to your destination. At this point, how many countries have you been to? Uh, so Israel was my 41st country. 41st country? Okay. And I, I think I kind of already know the answer to this, but what are some of your favorite countries or your favorite places to travel to? Well, so Australia is my, my, my favorite country to travel to. Um, I, I also really do enjoy Singapore. And it's funny because Singapore, the first time we went, I was like, you know what? I don't think I'd come back here. But we ended up going back uh, for one reason or another and really have found a lot of enjoyment there. I mean, between the hawker markets and, and I don't like a lot of spicy food, but I still found food that I enjoyed and was very flavorful. And it, it, it's kind of like that, um, it, I, I call it Asia light. It's, it's got a lot of that Asia, Asian culture, but if you need a little bit of comfort, you know, Western comfort, you can get that too. Yeah, it has the, the higher-end hotels, and there are definitely American-style restaurants, or not so much in the food, but just the, the way they're designed and the way the, it looks when you're walking around. It's more of a higher-end, but still does have that Asian flair. And our family just, it was, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say this when I'm talking to you because I know how many times you've been there, but it was our first trip to Australia just for Christmas and New Year's this year. And a lot of the reason we went was due to how much you had talked about Sydney for New Year's and that it was just this amazing thing to see. And having been and having experienced that, I, the, my wife asked me how I liked it. And the first thing I said to her is I would absolutely come back and do this again because it was just amazing. Um, and then we continued on that trip. We went from Australia up to Singapore was our next stop and our family absolutely loved Singapore. So I can see why those are a couple of your favorite places. How many times have you been to Australia? Oh, 
Okay, I should have counted already. Um, so I think I've probably been about six, six or seven times. I, I, I've gone, the first time I went was 2010. And then uh, for the last few years, I've gone about twice, twice a year. So uh, I'm, I'm probably up to seven or eight. Our next trip is actually for, for my wife's birthday in June, where we're going to go up to Brisbane. So this is, for those people who are paying attention, we live in the United States, which is very, very far from Australia. So this isn't just like popping up to Canada for a weekend. This is on literally the other side of the world, but you like it so much that you just keep going back and the, the miles and points kind of allow you to do that. And I'm sure you do it much more comfortably than we did. We, we flew coach. It was kind of funny. We stayed in. Um, we got a really good deal at the Ritz-Carlton in Singapore, so we stayed there, and we actually had a separate room for our kids. So we had two rooms at the Ritz in Singapore, and then we went on to the St. Regis in Kuala Lumpur, and then we flew home in coach. And it was kind of a, <laughs> a rough way to end the trip. It was a long flight, but we still had an amazing vacation, an amazing trip. Awesome. Yeah, this, this, this trip, we, uh, we ended up getting one of those mistake fares at the beginning of the year. So it was uh, Air New Zealand business class, but actual paid. But for, I think it's like 1500 or less. So it's, I mean, it's, it's more than we normally spend, but it's, at least for me, it's been incredibly hard to get Air New Zealand awards. And I, it's an airline that I haven't flown yet. Yeah, I looked for awards on Air New Zealand and found absolutely nothing. And we went at the absolute peak time. Everybody who has airline miles wants to go to Australia for New Year's. And my wife said, can we go to Australia for New Year's? And I just laughed at her. And then I looked and I saw coach seats and I said, do you want to go and coach? And she said, sure. So we booked it. But there was absolutely nothing on Air New Zealand. It well, is, I, I would like to sometime in the near future get to New Zealand so I may have to hope for some sort of mistake fare too and that and I think that's how we actually got our got to New Zealand the first time but uh, the interesting thing about Australia is the flights seem to, to the awards seem to open up I mean if you're willing to, to fly possibly over Christmas or miss Christmas because you you lose a day on the, on that flight last minute they'll start to open up even in the in the premium cabins although I don't really think I've ever seen first class open up but at least business class on Qantas. Yeah, and you say if you're willing to fly on the holiday or miss the holiday, that's something we've done a couple times as a family, and you can often find better awards if you're willing to fly on that holiday. We've done it on Thanksgiving a couple of times, and in this case, we actually spent Christmas Eve in the air. We took off on the 23rd and completely lost the 24th due to passing the international dateline, and we landed Christmas morning. Uh, I think around 6 a.m. and then had a couple hour layover and a quick flight up to Brisbane. And our, it was not the Christmas day we typically spend where we wake up and <laughs> open presents under the tree and spend time with family. It was more a, a travel day where I was just hoping that I was going to be able to drive the rental car without falling asleep when I <laughs> got it in Brisbane and drove the hour north to where we were actually staying that night. But it was, that's how I was able to find the award. A lot of people don't want to travel on those holidays. So that's a good kind of hidden tip there, that if you're willing to travel on the holiday or miss part of the holiday or even leave the evening of the holiday, um, you often have a better chance of finding the awards that you need, especially if you're looking for multiple people. The interesting thing, and I looked uh, this past year, the, the reverse is not true. I could not find even on the 31st of, uh, of December leaving Sydney, coming back to the U.S., I couldn't find anything leaving Sydney anywhere close to when I wanted to go. And I had booked 
the flight's over and I said, oh yeah, I'll just, something will turn up. And then I found flights home from Kuala Lumpur, which is great. We hadn't been there and I knew we could do Singapore as well. And then for months I just watched and I wanted the price to go down on the flight from Sydney to Singapore. <laughs> and I watched and I watched and I watched and I just couldn't bring myself to book it because the days I wanted to go somewhere between the 1st and the 3rd of January, it was four times the price that it normally is on the low cost carrier. And I just, I didn't want to pay that. And in the end, I ended up paying that because oh, it just never came down. And I used some points to, to kind of pay the cash price for the ticket with some flex perks points. And, but it was just painful. It was far more than I wanted to spend to get us to Singapore, but it's a really long way to swim. So we had to do something. We were, we were flying home from Kuala Lumpur. We had a hotel in Singapore and we were in Australia and there there is not a little shuttle boat that'll take you there's not a ferry there's not a you need to fly in a plane and that was our only choice so we mentioned before that you really enjoy those upper class products the business class or the first class how many i guess first first question will be how many of those upper class products have you tried and what is your favorite as far as the hard product, the seats, what is your favorite as far as the service? And is that the same airline or is that different airlines? Oh, it's all different airlines, believe it or not. So I actually, I still think that Emirates is my favorite all around airline. Um, the seat isn't, isn't, is not amazing, but it's, it's perfectly comfortable. And, um, and, and they have the bar, they've got a, a, a very good uh, quality product in their first class cabin as long as you're going on the A380. Uh, Lufthansa is probably my, my, my other favorite, uh, but the onboard service is not, I mean, the catering that they do isn't amazing. I mean, they do really random things. Like I have had pheasant on board. I've had white asparagus, which actually tastes pretty good, but I mean, I wouldn't expect to have those sorts of things on an, on, on, on an air, aircraft. And sometimes the things don't really, uh, you know, nice ideas don't really translate as well. There's kind of a reason why they weren't designed to be on an aircraft or why that you haven't seen them on an aircraft. Exactly, exactly. But the, the ground service for Lufthansa is fantastic. Uh, Thai is very nice as well. Uh, I've flown uh, first class on them a number of times. If you're going to do that, you want to fly first class out of Bangkok because you get that, that, that massage. They've got the beautiful little lounge. They also drive you all around if you need to, if you're leaving from a different terminal, they'll get you on a, on a little golf cart. They'll drive you to the plane. Um, it's and, funny and, that you mention both Thai flying out of Bangkok and you mention Lufthansa because those are the two first class products that I've experienced. <laughs> so I guess I picked the right ones. Um, Absolutely. I, I actually flew a, it was a special flight. Uh, Lufthansa does, I think they still do it. I, this was five years ago that I did it, but during Oktoberfest, they fly three flights out of Munich and they call them their special uh, Troxen flights. And the flight crew is all dressed up in dirndls and lederhosen and they have special catering and they fly, I think it was one to Boston, one to New York and one to Chicago. And I happened to be coming back from Oktoberfest and I had an economy award booked into Boston and I found out that was the day of the flight into Chicago for this special flight. 
And I thought, well, no, I need to change that. I need to get on that flight. And then once I did that, I thought, well, maybe I also need to fly in first class. So I, I upgraded myself to first class. And it was really cool. I found out on the flight that not only was it the, they don't just dress up the people who are normally on that flight, but that's kind of their A-team of their, it's their best purser, their best flight attendants, because they then go on and do the PR events at the Hofbrauhaus House in Chicago. Or, oh, cool. <laughs> so it's, I, I probably had the best purser and the best couple of first-class flight attendants in the entire Lufthansa system, certainly the, the most polished and the best trained ones. And we had special meals. Ours included venison. It was, it was a from-the-forest-themed Oktoberfest thing. They found out that, at the, that I was a freelance writer at the beginning of the flight. I mentioned it to them because they came around to tell us why they were wearing these strange outfits. And I said, oh, I know. That's why I'm on this flight. And she said, wait, what? <laughs> and I said, no, no. I came specifically on this flight to see this. And I explained how I knew about it and what I did. And they were absolutely wonderful. Every food service, it was served kind of family style, family style or buffet style. They brought around a cart with several dishes and then just scooped out whatever you wanted onto your plate. So it was almost like a Thanksgiving dinner. But they made sure to bring it over to me first so I could photograph all of the things before they served anyone else. There were only four of us in the first class cabin, but it was a nice little extra touch. But I'm not sure that's exactly how service always goes on that airline, but I, I did certainly enjoy my experience with that. Yeah, not always that way. I mean, they, they do bring the, the appetizers out on the cart and like they'll, they'll kind of display it if you end up choosing a bunch of the, the different ones. I mean, they, they definitely do a nice job. It's just the food is sometimes a little bit farther, uh, farther afield than you'd expect. Most yeah. of the time it's, it's very good, but just sometimes it, it, it doesn't. <laughs> I feel like they do keep their cabins a little bit warm for my taste also. But, you know, I'm not going to complain too much if I'm flying first class. I'll, I'll take whatever temperature they're going to put it at. <laughs> and I have done the, that was when I realized I first had a, a problem, you would say, with miles and points because I was looking for flights back. My wife and I were going to Koh Samui, Thailand, and I was looking for flights home. And I told her, I said, I want to fly from uh, Bangkok, but I, I want to fly in Thai first class. And then I, I found availability for two seats and it wasn't on their new A380 plane. And I said to my wife, I don't think I'm going to book this. And she said, what? She said, you've been looking, you found availability to get us home. Why wouldn't you book it? And I said, I really want to fly on the other plane. And she said, <laughs> what? And she thought I was crazy. But eventually I did find two seats on the A380 and it worked out great. And we got our, I got my one hour hot oil massage in the lounge and had my noodles brought over. And it was, it was wonderful. Um, but that's when I, I realized that, you know, like maybe I'm taking this a step too far. So what was the uh, other alternative, a 747? I believe it was a 747. Those aren't bad either. I mean, so, so when I took my brother and my father uh, around the world, we flew and we, it was the three of us and we had the entire nose of the 747 with the new, the new first class in uh, going from Sydney to Bangkok. So yeah, and not... that's, I, I'm sure it wouldn't have been bad. I think the, at that point, it was several years ago, I think the A380 was fairly new at that point or at least yeah. new to Thai Airways and that was the new fancy plane and I wanted to be on it. <laughs> so <laughs> it did work out. I ended up on it. We had a bit of a snafu coming home on that 
flight where I tried to change the flight through the uh, United app because I had booked with United Miles and it changed my second leg to what I wanted, which was actually Lufthansa first class out of Frankfurt, but it did not change my first leg. So I ended up with a flight to Paris and then a flight home from Frankfurt. And let's just say it didn't work out. I ended up in United Business first going through Canada and it, oh, it was sad, no. but I did get that first leg on the tie first. <laughs> so it, it half worked out, I guess. The things we do for, for, for these experiences. Yeah, yeah. And that's, like I said, it's a little bit crazy, but we get in, get on some pretty cool products and some cool planes. Now we're obviously, this is your most recent trip because we're both out of town and we're both here in Dallas. But prior to that, what was the last trip that you and Rose took? So we went down to uh, the uh, Hyatt Ziva in Cancun, uh, stayed at that, at the turquoise tower, which is actually adult only. And uh, it was just one of those kind of R&R type trips for us. Uh, we burned 100,000 Hyatt, uh, Hyatt points for, the, for four nights. And the interesting thing was is if yeah, I, I ran the numbers every, every other way, and it just that was the best value I could get because the alternative was 500 and I think it was 519 or, or, or 579, something like that, um, most nights. And then I think one night was up, up even in the 600s. So even if we had done like the City Prestige, you, you know, fourth night free, it was, it, it was still going to cost us a whole lot more than, than you know, 100,000 points. And that's one of Hyatt's newer all-inclusive resorts, right? Yes, yes. So you don't, once you get there, you don't have to think much. You have to decide which of the restaurants you want to go to and where you want to sit on the beach. And exactly. Just enjoy your time and relax and decompress. Exactly. And, and so we had actually burned a, a sweet upgrade, uh, and they had put us in a different part of the, uh, the, the, the property. And I, when we checked in, I said, well, what about the turquoise tower? And they're like, well, well, your room is bigger. And I said, yeah, but I've heard the experience is better. And, and it truly is. They give you a butler. They have a separate private pool for, for, for people staying at the turquoise tower. And those folks take very good care of you as well. We had asked very, we'd expressed an interest in having a, a, a particular uh, chaise lounge. And that chaise lounge was, was reserved for us every morning. Small little yeah. things. Yeah, it is the little things. When we, I mentioned we stayed at the St. Regis in uh, Kuala Lumpur when um, my wife got an email while we were in Singapore because the first night was booked uh, through her account with an awards day. And it said, anything we can do to make your stay? Like, is there anything you need? Do you need your directions? How are you coming in? Do you need help with anything? And I said, respond back that we're excited for our stay. And if they could upgrade you to a ridiculously large room, then that would be great. So she typed exactly that and <laughs> oh, sent no. it to them. And we got there and they, they said, I'm sorry, we, we do have this room set aside for you. It's our, one of our king suites. But with the kids, it only has the one king bed. And oh, we said, oh, well, that's not going to work. And they said, now we can bring up other beds for you. Um, they're, they're rollaway beds. And this was the end of our trip. And my wife and I were like, okay, that'll be fine. <laughs> it, but it turns out the St. Regis there doesn't have little fold-up rollaway beds. They have like full mattress and box spring beds that they tip up on their end and roll them in. And the suite was big enough that we had a walk-in closet that one of the beds fit in. And we had our own massage room in the suite. So when we pushed the massage table over, you could fit the other roll-in bed there. So my kids had their own bedrooms with closed doors. And that suite came with a butler, which my kids thought was the best thing ever. 
because they could order hot cocoa while they packed up in the evening and it was it was just wonderful so that you it sounds silly to have a butler in a hotel room for a couple of nights but man does it make a difference it's just those small things yeah and it, it really adds that little bit of luxury to your vacation so you've ruined your family now after that trip huh Absolutely. I ruined my family. Uh, it was actually that trip to Koh Samui where I, I ruined my wife because she had never been in an upper class product. And we flew there in Cathay Pacific first class and we flew back in Thai first class. And then I ruined my kids uh, when we went to Hong Kong a couple of years later and we flew business class on Cathay Pacific. And we landed in Hong Kong and I looked over at my older son and he took his noise canceling headphones off and he looked at me and he said, Dad, I don't ever want to fly on any other kind of plane ever again. <laughs> and I thought, oh no. <laughs> and they've since, they've been in business class on uh, Japan Airlines and they've been on business class on Cathay again, but they, they still do their, their share of economy flying, especially when that's the only thing we can find. So what's on the docket next? What's coming up for your, your next travels or your next trip you're really excited about? So we're actually going on a, on a cruise. We don't do very much cruising ourselves, uh, but we're cruising from Alaska down to Vancouver uh, with my parents as we're celebrating their 50th anniversary. Oh, that should be amazing. I, one of my first vacations with my wife's family, a first big vacation that we took was that, a similar cruise. It was the, the inside passage. Oh, cool. We did a, a land and sea version because my father-in-law never does anything small so <laughs> it was uh, a, a bigger version of the trip but we took some trains up and went through Fairbanks and Anchorage and Denali and did a bus tour into Denali and then we ended up on a ship somewhere up there in northern Alaska and then we came down on the inside passage which I think, I think is similar to what you guys will do any recommendations um don't be sad if they cancel a helicopter tour because there's fog a lot <laughs> Oh, shucks. I was going to try to get one of those helicopter yeah, or, definitely, or fishing. Yeah, definitely book it. Um, but they, ours got canceled and it made us very sad. But we did do a, a seaplane up to a glacier lake, a glacial lake. And we got to, it was probably 95 degrees, which I didn't think it got that hot in Alaska. Oh, wow. But we absolutely got sunburned two days out of that trip. <laughs> um, and... It was super hot and we landed and we got out of the plane and we got to go over and have a snowball fight and cool ourselves in the, the melt going down into the lake and that was super cool. Um, if you're going to Juneau, I have a great uh, couple of guys, I think it's called Harv and Marv. Uh, I'll look it up and I'll get you the info and I'll put it in the show notes too, but they, they run a whale watching tour. It's not part of the cruise itinerary, but we booked it separately, but they're, they're absolutely amazing. We've We've done it twice now. Uh, when we went back to Alaska with just the four of us, we went out whale watching with them again. Oh, cool. Um, but just a wonderful group to deal with and a wonderful whale watching tour. Uh, other than that, just enjoy the flowers because in the summer, you don't think about it, but we found the same thing in Iceland and it was northern northern countries or northern regions of the country you think of it as being always cold but in the summer not only does it get warm but there the growing season for the flowers and the plants is the day is significantly longer they get so much more sun so they just had these huge and beautiful flowers everywhere and we were just stunned by the amount of flowers and especially in Juneau and around uh, some of the smaller 
ports that we stopped. Uh, Tilkeetna, I think, was one of them. And I, I can't think of the other places that we stopped, but just the floral arrangements everywhere were amazing. I would never have thought of that. I yeah, mean, we logical, didn't think of it either. But and I would never, yeah. Take lots of bug spray because um, the mosquitoes are out in force and take sunscreen. Yes. I say as I sit here a little bit burned because once again the sun got me. I I shaved my head uh, just before going to French Polynesia. I, I typically, I guess you would say that I have a shaved head, though I often don't get around to doing it quite that often. But I, I usually do it before vacation so I don't have to think about it. And when I go to warm places, that's super dumb to do because <laughs> I go to warm places and no matter how much sunscreen you put on a bald head, if you're out in the sun... <laughs> It's going to get sunburned, and it happened to be on my first day of diving in French Polynesia. And it's mostly recovered now, but you know, I'll never learn. <laughs> That's what hats are for. Yeah, I. You would think that would also. I don't. I don't know. Tilly hats. I, eventually, I will learn. I had a hat with me on vacation. I you just, just didn't wear it. I just didn't have it on for that whatever it was. I think it was like six minutes that it took to burn my head. Probably longer, but <laughs> I don't know. I get smarter over time, I like to think, but I don't know. I still come home with a burned head. <laughs> so let's shift a little bit from travel uh, to beer because this is a, a travel and beer podcast. And although I'm kind of alternating between brewing personalities, brewers and owners and travelers, the, the travelers I'm talking to, I probably won't talk to too many who don't like beer. I, <laughs> I know that you like beer, but you're... Your typical beer or your at-home beer, your favorite beer when you're home is different than what a lot what we've talked about a lot on this show. What Tell the listeners what that is. So I like Coors Light. I, uh, I, I, I find it to be an easy to drink, uh, you know, don't have to really think about it, sort of, uh, I'll call it a comfort beer. A comfort beer. So, and, and that's very, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, clearly a lot of people love Coors Light. I don't mind a Coors Light every now and then. If there's craft beers on the menu, I'm probably not going to pick it. But I understand, I know you and a few of my other travel friends uh, really enjoy that beer and know that it's something that's consistent and you can get the same every time and you know that it's going to be refreshing and you know that you can have a couple of them and still have a coherent conversation. And <laughs> it's nice to have that comfort. Does your, do your beer choices change at all when you travel? Absolutely. And how do they change? So I try to make it a point to at least try whatever the local beer is uh, wherever I'm traveling. Um, there are some times where I'll kind of go back to a favorite of like a Carlsberg or a Heineken uh, overseas, but I'll, I'll only do that if I've already exhausted all the local varieties at wherever I am. Uh, even in hotel lounges, we'll, we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time in the evenings uh, in hotel lounges that give you the, you know, the, 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 the drinks and hors d'oeuvres. And I'll kind of go through their entire selection of local beers before I try anything that's, you know, more, more, uh, uh, more global. Though the interesting thing on, on, on some of those global brands, Carlsberg, for example, uh, Heineken, they actually do taste a little bit different overseas. And in some, in some countries, they're actually brewed overseas. So in Jamaica, for example, Heineken is brewed in Jamaica. And it tastes nothing like the Heineken that we, that we get here in the States. Yeah, and I found that you mentioned Carlsberg. That was when I studied in Copenhagen. We drank a lot of Carlsberg, probably more Carlsberg than we should have for studying. <laughs> but 
when I came back and had it in the States a couple of years later, I was like, this is not the same beer. And yeah. it's, I forget, I, I want to say Carlsberg here is brewed in Canada, but I could be wrong about that. But it's, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's not the brew, the beer that's brewed in Denmark where it was brewed when I was in Denmark. <laughs> and it's different, but to this day, when I go over to Europe, I'll make sure I get a Carlsberg because it's, it has that memory and it's that, like you said, a comfort beer. It's something that I know I have. It was funny that you say the hotel lounges have different beers. When we were just coming back from uh, French Polynesia, we had an overnight in LA and then we had an early flight the next morning and we got to the, the Virgin Atlantic lounge and I looked around and they had the typical orange juice and they had uh, water and they had coffee, but it wasn't good coffee. It wasn't, I don't know. I'm not really a coffee drinker, but I have become an espresso snob. So <laughs> I, I want there to be good espresso. And if it's not there, I won't drink it. And I won't drink a regular coffee because I don't like the flavor, which makes very little sense if I like espresso. But, you know, no one ever said I was normal. <laughs> um, so I looked around and there was a, a local craft beer there and it was seven fifteen in the morning and I looked at my wife and I looked at the beer and she looked at me and she's like, whatever, our brain thinks it's a different time. So I had a, a craft beer and cornflakes for, for a pre-flight breakfast and breakfast of champions. It was good. It was delicious beer. Um, I actually, I think I put it on uh, Instagram and called it the Breakfast of Champions. <laughs> but I had a craft beer at 7 a.m. And I, I never would have done that other than the fact that I was in London a couple years ago at 6 a.m. at an airport. And I looked around and every single person had a half pint of Guinness. So I had a half pint of Guinness and I thought to myself, this is acceptable. So now, I mean, it's, there was a craft beer there. I had to try it. So... I had it at 7.15 in the morning. And it was a great way to start my day. Hey, you know, people have bubbly uh, in the morning all the time. They just put it with a little bit of orange juice and it's suddenly all right. Yeah, and that's, I think I actually said that to my wife in the lounge. I was like, <laughs> you would have a mimosa. I was like, do you want me to pour orange juice in my beer? Well, Which, I think that, that might change the palate. Uh, I don't know. It, might be good. It, was a, it was an IPA, I think, at a restaurant, some local restaurant in D.C., uh, I had a manmosa once, which was a, a beer and orange juice, and I don't know. It's almost a little offensive to call it a manmosa because I know plenty of women who would love that so, much more than the champagne. Also, so at jailbreak, we did the monkey mimosa for one of the reselling dues, where it was uh, feed the monkey uh, uh, one of their beers with uh, a little bit of orange juice. Yeah, and it's it's not bad. No, 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 it's no, pretty no. good. Yeah. So we touched, uh, you mentioned the, the bubbly or the champagne or sparkling wine um, as a breakfast beverage, but that's also one of your favorites. Right? You won't always choose a beer, you'll choose uh, some sort of sparkling white. Yeah. Where, when, did you, when did you start drinking those or where, where did you really get into that? You know, I, I I started I probably started getting into the different the different sparkles also, or, or, or sparkles, thinking Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but the sparkling wines uh, probably when I was uh, doing a lot of the the international travel in in premium cabins I just you, you know you talk you hear about Krug and Dom and uh, Dom Perignon and and, and uh, Tattinger and Bollinger um, a lot of different kind of you know high end stuff. 
And then uh, it just happened that uh, a friend of ours, uh, a really good friend of ours, uh, or really good friends of ours, moved out to Napa. And so I had been avoiding transcons for, for quite some time. They moved to Napa. We've, done, we've been out there like four or five times. And, uh, and, and always, always go to some of, some of the different sparkling, uh, uh, sparkling houses. So in contrast to most people, you started with the super high-end ones yes, in, and, and in your I, first class flights. And then I found that the nicer ones were the smaller, uh, the smaller vineyards, the, the smaller winemakers. I mean, yeah, the small batch. There's some really, really good sparkling whites coming out of the Napa area and the and Napa Sonoma. And Sonoma. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't tried those there, it's not going to be a $5 bottle of sparkling white, but it's going to be a heck of a lot cheaper than a, than a bottle of Dom. And it's going to have a lot more, uh, it's going to have a much better taste profile, I think. Yeah. And I, I agree with, uh, some of those, you, you can find a, a good variety of the sparkling whites out of that region of California. And don't forget the rosés. Sparkling rosés are just as nice. Yes. If not yes. nicer. Sorry, I, I'm discriminating with the sparkling whites there against the rosés. And yeah, they are, they're excellent. Also, again, from that same region. I'm pretty excited. I have a trip coming up in June, and I'm spending four days in the Champagne region of France. Oh, wow. And I have, I don't know, I think I have five or six different Champagne house visits scheduled at this point, and I'm waiting to hear back from a couple more. But there's probably going to be a travel and beer podcast all about champagne coming later this summer <laughs> uh, in the hopes that I can can find someone who's willing to sit down and record with me and not be embarrassed about their English skills, which they absolutely shouldn't be because their English skills will be significantly better than my French skills. And, and yeah, I mean, my experience, at least in Paris, was no, don't try, don't don't even try speaking French. We speak English. I, I, I'd imagine that probably in the Champagne region, it, it, it they might not have as good English as, as as in the major city, but they'll probably still be very good. Yeah, and I think so. And you say the the attitude you get a lot of times is the don't even try speaking French. Could because we speak English, and they'll you, when you butcher their French phrase, they'll they'll speak back to you in English. But they absolutely do appreciate your attempt. Oh, e and they, in every country they do. If, yes. If you try to say what you're asking for in French, they will switch to English and they'll talk to you. But if you just talk to them in English, they may pretend they don't speak it because they. <laughs> I we've definitely had that experience. Uh, it's funny when we travel to France. My wife is uh, a short redhead with freckles and speaks fairly fluent French. She studied in Paris at the Sorbonne, and oh, wow. she can have a pretty solid conversation in French, and I look like I would speak French a lot more than her, so when we're there together, everyone talks to me, and <laughs> I just say, je ne parle pas français, and point at her, and, and they're like, really? The freckled one? She speaks French? And then she talks to them, and then they have a wonderful conversation, but I, I do need to up my skills a little bit, because I'll be spending a couple of weeks there without her, including the Champagne region, which she's very sad about, but that's just how the trip worked out. And she's still letting you go? She is letting me go. I think she wasn't, she maybe wasn't paying attention that well when I told her what I was planning to do. I'm going over for the Women's World Cup, which starts on June 7th. So I'm flying out on June 6th, and I'm going to the opening game in Paris, and then I'm going to the, the U.S. women's team's uh, three group stage games. But 
Chrissy is a teacher and we have two boys oh, in yeah. school, so they can't go then because they're still in school. So they're flying out, I think, on the, the 17th. And then they're going to spend a couple nights in London, and then they're going to spend a couple nights in Paris, and then we're going to meet up in Bordeaux. But that means I have two weeks on my own in France, and I'm popping over to Luxembourg for a few days because, oh, cool. you know, why not? We'll get another country. It's in. right, and That's it's an right there, one. and I I understand it's very expensive, but I'm staying at a hostel because I'm just by myself, and I'm renting a car and driving around the country a little bit, so that'll be cool. But as I plan that part of the trip, she keeps saying things like, wait, when did I say this was okay? <laughs> and I say, no, no, you were there when I booked the flight. And I said, I'm going to do this. And you said, okay, sure, go ahead. <laughs> so she'll be bitter a little bit. But once she gets over there and, and has some champagne and some cheese and a, a baguette and a croissant, then... Uh, Just make sure you have a couple on ice. She'll be happy. Yeah, I'm definitely going to pick up a few bottles of champagne. I'm going to make a, a pit stop in uh, the town of Camembert and oh, cool. visit one of the, the oldest cheese shops in the country that's still doing things the old-fashioned way. Um, so I'll have some, some champagne and some cheese for her when I pick her up at the train station, her and the boys who she will have been traveling for almost a week on her own with by that point so i'm sure she'll be ready to hand off the responsibility for them and i can hand her the wine and cheese and she'll be nice and happy <laughs> very cool so let's wrap up with um i guess your your general thoughts on travel why do you travel what do you love about travel what what makes travel magical to you it, i i still find it amazing that internationally you can go to sleep in, you know just in the in the u.s airspace and you can wake up almost anywhere else in the world and it's just amazing to me to to kind of see how the different cultures interact and and to kind of learn more about uh new cultures and new people uh we we probably don't travel as 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 uh as frugally as we probably should uh we also will sometimes just spend time in, in hotel lounges, uh, as I had mentioned. And some of the conversations that you have in, in, in hotel lounges, believe it or not, end up being really insightful. And, and so we'll, first night we'll get into a hotel, we'll chat up people, and then we'll have you know, built out the rest of our itinerary for the rest of the trip. And, oh, hey, did you go to this place? Or, oh, you really have to go to this place. And, and don't forget about this market. And, and the markets are also really fun, you know, any of those kind of open air sort of markets. Yeah, and that's great getting advice from someone who's already been there or someone who may travel a lot. And it's not even necessarily the destination that you're at that you might talk about. They may say, oh, have you been to this country? Or, oh, have you been to this city over here? Are you planning to go there? And you might get tips for a future trip, too, of places that they just thought were amazing because people universally will tell everyone about the places they thought were the best. Exactly. And, and, and it just helps, you know, adding more, more to the list of, of places to go. I mean, we've been wanting to get to Lima, for example. I think you went there, uh, didn't, didn't you? Or? Yeah, two years ago. I've been to Lima a couple of times. I, I stopped once. Uh, I had booked a uh, fare down to Iguazu Falls and it had some short layovers but I kind of extended them so I had an overnight in Sao Paulo and then an overnight in Lima on my own and then I went uh, with just my two boys a couple of years ago and we went to the Sacred Valley and Machu Picchu and Cusco and then spent two nights in Lima uh, before coming home and it was it was a city we really enjoyed. Peru I think is my older son's 
I don't think, I know, is my older son's favorite country. He consistently talks about going back there and exploring more of the Sacred Valley and seeing more of the ruins. Awesome. I didn't um, even think of the Sacred Valley. I always think of Machu Picchu or Cusco. So, I mean... Yeah, and the, the, I mean, the Sacred Valley is kind of right in between Cusco and Machu Picchu. So you can take a train straight through it, but there's some amazing things there if you stop. And not everybody does that. Some people do day trips out of Cusco. Some people go straight to Machu Picchu. Um, but there are really some amazing things to see right there in the Sacred Valley. If you stay in some place like uh, Urumbamba or Ayante Tambo are really the two towns you can stay in. Uh, I think there's a, what was a Starwood, now a, a Marriott property in Urumbamba that I, I think occasionally has a Ward Nights available. And that's that beautiful one, I think. Uh... Yeah, I think people really, really enjoy it. We ended up staying in Ayante Tambo in a, a smaller place. I think, I don't know where we booked it, maybe Airbnb. But we had, it was four dorm beds and a room, and we had a private room with a private bath. And it was really cool. It was right on the river. They had beautiful gardens with beautiful things. And we were in this little stonewalled little city. I think Urumbamba is more built up. Uh, Ayante Tambo is... Not very much like it was hundreds of years ago, <laughs> but probably. But the stonework is still the same. Gotcha. So it's it it's definitely built up in that there's a pizza shop and an ice cream shop and there's a bunch of local restaurants on the square. But you can also find yourself walking between two little stone walls on this little stone path with a little stone gutterway because um, the when they built those things they were amazing at drainage. That's one of the things my son loved the most <laughs> is the way they handled water. He was like, "This is so cool. Look at this. This is notched. This is where the water goes." And it rained a little bit when we were there, so it was kind of cool to see. But yeah, I would highly, highly recommend that. And and Lima, there's amazing food in Lima, and it's overall Peru is a great, great country to visit. Awesome. So before we close. Um, I guess give our listeners a, a way to find you online. We'll we'll link to all this in the show notes, but uh, let them know you uh, are your podcast, your social media, your blog. How do they find you? There's a, a lot of ways to find you on the internet. Fortunately and unfortunately, I suppose. Um, so so I'm most easily read, re readily found on Twitter at tmount t m o u n t, and uh, I also do a, a podcast, the Saverosity observation deck with uh with with a friend of ours uh i think a mutual friend of ours joe chung uh and we release those uh tuesdays uh every other uh, yeah every two weeks on tuesday um and uh i do i i don't write as much but i still have the blog up at taggingmiles.com so there is <laughs> there is some great content there that you used to write but now it's it's more as some of us have shied away I used to blog very regularly, and now I've shifted into freelance, and I, my blog isn't even up anymore that I did. Um, but the the podcast is great to listen to. There was one episode especially that I really liked because I was the guest. Uh, <laughs> and uh, sadly, you weren't around for that. That was actually just Joe that I chatted with. But there, there are some great episodes of the podcast, always very interesting to, to hear the people you're talking with. And uh, if you want to find Trevor on Twitter, like he said, at T-Mount, and uh, he's always got something to say there, feel free to interact and say hi. And that about does it for this episode. Uh, thank you so much, Trevor, for stopping by to chat with us today, and uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of our weekend here in Dallas. And thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that brief conversation with Trevor Mountcastle. It's fun to get the perspective of someone who tries all the local beers when they travel, just like I do, but chooses a bit differently when at home. All of the important points and links that we talked about during this episode will be in the show notes, so you can go there to pick up anything you missed out on the first time through. And that's all we have for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of the new episodes we have coming down the line. Also, tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy too. Until next time, safe travels, happy drinking, and cheers. We'll see you in the tap room. Thank you.